Hi, everyone. It's Michelle from Studio City Now. And today my guest is Clayne Edward Wayman. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I am doing awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Well, I read um, about you talking about your book, Echoes of... Resounding Love. Thank you. I wrote it down and I'm like, I can't read my writing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, Attila the Nun will be very upset because they drilled penmanship in us. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So tell me about the book. Yeah, so this is a profound uh, journey out of uh, Mormon polygamy. I was born, I'm the fourth child of 45 kids. Uh, and, what? What? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, pause right there. <laughs> yeah, but but given the lifestyle that I was raised in, you know, having big families was just commonplace. It wasn't until I got in the big bad world that I realized that uh, it wasn't so commonplace. <laughs> well, from what I've been told, because we talked earlier about what I knew. Yeah. Sort of. A polygamist... Um, family isn't really part of the true Mormon church. Yeah, the, we'll call it the mainstream Mormon church because the the, the, chur the church that I was raised in, they believe that they follow the original Mormon teachings and it's the mainstream that's actually given up the original. Oh, that's given up the uh, polygamous lifestyle? Yeah, polygamy being, they consider polygamy as part of the key crowning principles of the restoration of their founder, Joseph Smith. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, back to the fourth child of 45. Yes. Same yep. father? Yep, same father. I was raised, I would say, with approximately 32 of them. I had moved out of the house. Uh, I got married really young. And so the others up to the number of 45 came after I had left. But, but approximately 32 uh, was in the same house as me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I don't even know where to start with that one. <laughs> Your father yeah. was quite busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had a full-time job in construction, and then he took as many side jobs as he could. And then eventually, at the age of 13, for me, uh, and this also happened to a couple other of my older brothers, is it's pretty common in that culture to pull your kids out of, your, at least the boys, to pull the boys out of school to go work full-time uh, to help support the growing family. And that's what happened to me. But you did go back to school, I hope. I put myself through school. Yeah, I found I found a correspondence uh, school out of Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. and and uh, I was able to uh, complete my high school through the mail. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. So, what do you do now? Are you still in construction or? No, I I say I, I'm in finance now. So what I say is I used to build the homes and now I finance them. And, uh, <laughs> well, we and, should talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've been in finance now. Uh, 17 years. So just inside my 18th year. Wow. Good for you. Now, what yeah, was it you. like growing up with, I mean, all these people? I mean, it was a... <laughs> yeah. It was I don't know where to begin on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We could have formed our own football team and, and be able to uh, provide enough personnel for both sides of the team <laughs> and plus reserves. Right. <laughs> with a small cheering section. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. With small cheer. Yes. You know, when you were when we were in it, it was considered normal. I was raised on a small family farm where we had cows, pigs, chickens. Occasionally, we had uh, goats and turkeys. Not very often, but that did happen every once in a while. We had neighbors. Uh, we lived in an area that was really rural at the time, 
and it was mostly just farm country. Uh, we had our neighbors that had horses, and every once in a while, the neighbor kids would get on there in their big hay barn and taunt us. And I remember as a 10 year old kid, they were taunting us and they were saying, Hey, you plagues. Hey, you, you bunch of plagues. And the word monogamy or monogamic was considered such a, uh, almost like a swear word that I remember I was playing. In the, <laughs> I know it was a terrible swear word. I remember <laughs> I was playing around in the barn and I got out and I yelled at him. Well, guess what? You're a monogamist. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know how to respond to that and close the door and left. <laughs> so that's what it was like. <laughs> They're the M word. <laughs> They're the M's. Yeah. <laughs> they thought, you know, I thought I had just insulted him and told him he was the biggest piece of trash by saying, I'm an monogamist. <laughs> Could I, I ask what city this was? Yeah, it was on the south end of the Salt Lake Valley in a little town called Riverton. And uh, fa the family moved out to Riverton in 1988 when Riverton was mostly just farm country. Now it's fully developed, of course. Oh, yeah. Well, I've spent some time in scenic and lovely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Utah's beautiful, but wow. Now, <laughs> was, your, was your father married to all these women? Uh, he was legally married to his first wife, which was my mother, and then he was spiritually married or married by the church, this particular church, to uh, by the uh, by the authorities of the church. So, so yeah, he was. He 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 was. They were all considered his wife equally to my mother, even though my mother was only his legally first wife, as far as the law was concerned. Okay, because I know um, Utah outlawed polygamy in 1870. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so they hold this idea or belief that God's laws supersede man's laws. Ah, uh, I think I'll try that in court one day. <laughs> <laughs> Your Honor, he married three women because God said to. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Is your father still with us? Yeah, yeah, he's still around, and it gets even a bit more juicy. I mean, my, my mothers are still around. My grandfather, he's one of the apostles of this religion, and as of today, he's 95 years old and has 12 living wives. He's had as many as 15, but, you know, three have passed away with old age. Wait a minute, 12? 12, right now, he's 95. Uh, just this past February, I, was I went and visited my grandfather, and I said to him, I said, Hey, how old is my youngest uncle or, or aunt? And he turns to one of his wives and says, hey, how old is so-and-so? And she responds, oh, he's seven. And then he turns to me and says, oh, yeah, you have an uncle who's seven. So okay. he's, he still has little kids at home, and he, he's 95 years old. Not to be crude, but I didn't think those parts worked at the yeah. age. <laughs> Well, my grandfather, uh, he's done a great job of making sure that all of his plumbing and systems work uh, quite well. He has, a, <laughs> he has a little farm, and I, I know this might sound a little grotesque for some, but on this farm, he raised you know, cows and uh, in the bulls. The bulls, uh, they, he would, he would, when they were slaughtered, he would eat their testicles. And he would oh, um... his, his wives would eat the testicles, so he'd have testicles too. 
Oh, Rocky Mountain oysters. Yeah. Rocky Mountain oysters. Yep. <laughs> so I'd say that's probably one way to keep that libido up. Probably an eat lots of eggs too. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah. How many kids did he have? My grandfather. Uh huh. Um, I believe it's approximately in the neighborhood of a hundred, but that also that that number also includes he married he married some uh, some wives from uh, his brother, for example, and he just and the because uh, the brother died and so forth, so those adopted. But I think approximately the ones that he personally sired, I think it's in the neighborhood of sixty five. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah, and I and then his posterity. Is approximately a thousand right now between uh, grand uh, between his kids, grandkids, and great grandkids. Uh, but you don't live in that type of environment yourself. Yeah, no, nope. I left it. I left it all behind, and that's what my book is about. My my book is about my journey of being raised in it and how I transitioned out. Of it. Now, is it difficult to transition out? Yeah, it's a it's a big deal. It's not just you're dealing with religion it's also that your social structure that you have had your entire life you've, you've got to plan on a large majority like we're talking about 90 percent or so of your associates no longer associated with them on the regular basis mm-hmm. and that, you know so you, so from a mental perspective you got to be prepared for that but it's almost so it's not just it's not it's not that you're just walking away from a religion when you walk away from the religion you're effectively walking away from the community and you had one in your house right there. Oh, yeah. My, my old lady's family community into a cell. <laughs> I mean, I'm still like fourth out of 45. That's like, I, I'm sure he had to keep a calendar as to when to um, passionately hug. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you what. It was kind of just a, it was kind of just a, a very much like a group hug almost type of thing. When we were kids we really looked forward to the weekend, especially Sunday morning. And what we would do is we would all gather by his door on Sunday morning so that uh, him and then whatever wife he was with for the night would open the door. And, uh, and then we would just all greet him, you know, hurry up and greet him all at once right then. And then when he, when he came home, you know, he, he had his little, his lunchbox and he would often leave a little something in there for us to get little scrappings to share, you know, it was just a fun little moment. And we would all just run over and just give him a big old group hug. And that was, and that, that, that's how I remember it as a kid. Oh, well, it sounds, you know, other than the fact there was a community, your own little city there. Yeah. You know, everybody was loved. Uh, yeah. For, for the most part as a kid, yes, you could, you could certainly say that. There were some, there's some belief things that, beca- that come into place. Like, you know, one of the big things they want to make sure that you're, a good standing member and what that might look like is if you did something that's what they might call out of quote out of line and quote getting what they call the board of education which was usually a big piece of wood or something or a willow or uh you'd get a whip on the butt and uh and then sometimes on the more extreme sides you know it might be a belt or the handle side of a hammer really (laughs) yeah yeah to keep us in line you know so violence was actually, you know, as much love as there was for for the kids, violence was often implemented to keep us to keep us in line, and it was all because in the name of because I love you. Yeah, 
Now, um, out of your brothers and sisters, are you the only one that left? I'm definitely in the minority. Uh, I do have, my mother had 12 kids, and to my knowledge, 11 of them have left. Okay, so basically everybody. Everybody on, from, from my particular mother has left, except for one, to my knowledge. Well, there's, and then there's a couple that are on the, that are, they don't know if they're in or out. So, so, but there's, there's one of the 12 that are, you could say is stalwart still in that religion. Now, you know, after leaving, do you still keep in touch with anyone? Were there any repercussions? Um, I have a really close relationship with my mother. Mm -hmm. My mother has uh, really opened her eyes to see what it is, but she still is, she's still part of the family. Like she, she hasn't left my father. She felt like it would create too much of a ripple so she's still there and then i have a i have a few sisters and a few brothers that i'm still in contact with okay now with the other mothers any of them have left or no none none of them have officially like left the house um or or left the religion my my mother considers she left the religion but she's still in the house yeah well part of that also your mother must be like 60 something yes yeah, she is. She was born in 50, 1957, so we could do the math on that. She's 64. Yeah. yeah. So, yep. um, yeah, part of that is security for her, too, because um, I shouldn't assume, but I am. Yeah. She probably doesn't have more than a high school education, if. Yeah, but, yeah, that's right. And no skills. I mean, she's very skilled as far as taking care of things that matter to the home. But yeah, anything outside of the home. Yeah, that's correct. Right. I should have said no real employment skills. Right. Well, she's really good at nannying. So she's right now, like she like right now, she doesn't have a really great relationship with my father. And so he doesn't really supply money to, to her for anything, for just her mundane needs, except for a space to live and some food. Uh, and so any extra money, she does uh, nannying on the side and uh, she gets paid a little bit that way. Yeah, that's not right of your father. Yeah. That's a control thing. Yeah. 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 And um, how long have you been out of, I mean, unfortunately, it's a cult. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would certainly define it as that. And I have family members that would defend that all the way to the bank, you know, say, no, it isn't. But yeah, I, I've come to that conclusion as well. Now, do you practice Mormonism? Like, you know, the, I guess, I guess it's called the true LDS church. No, I'm not part of any religious affiliation. Uh, I do consider myself uh, a spiritual person, uh, mm-hmm. but, I, but I'm not part of any organized religion. And what I, what I find interesting is I found that that path is actually the, uh, the most ancient of the paths that predate even religion. And that is our ancestors uh, practice something that we call today, for example, shamanism uh, is one of the most ancient types of spiritual practices. For me, in my path, is more authentic than organized religion. Now, how many kids do you have? I have four. I have four daughters. Nice. Yeah. Not 45. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm just getting started. We got 41 more to go. (laughs) I could not. Yeah. No, I'm I still hung not. up on fourth out of 45. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But different mothers, but still. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That would be one family law nightmare if your mother decided to divorce. 
Oh yeah, it, if she did, it would definitely topple the whole thing. Yeah, it'd be a big deal. If if I was my dad, I'd be kissing her toes. Among other things. Among other things. <laughs> yeah, and that's a whole other topic we could get into. <laughs> <laughs> he should be kissing her behind. She can take him to the Every, cleaners. He, she, you know, he should worship her for what she could do if she wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, yeah. it was. I mean, women have know, the power in divorce court in a situation like this. Oh, she'd have so much, so much, so much power and the assets that she'd gain and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, she knows it. She she knows, but she, but she's a peacemaker. She she's always been somebody that tries to be peacemaker, and she's at a time in her life where she's happy being a grandma, and she focuses on just being a grandma. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Because I have grandkids and I love being around them when they're not bratty. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. Then <laughs> it's like, here, mom, it's yours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? I've, I've heard that. I'm looking forward to being a grandparent, but I, I've got a long ways out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You do, but it's fun. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of fun. Now, um, I was going to ask you, you said you lived in a farm. Did you have separate homes or? Uh... No, we all lived in one house and it was a really tough. It wasn't that necessarily a big house. Uh, I, I tried counting. Let me quick. Let me see if I can quick count. There was only like five bedrooms and two, see two bathrooms until my dad added another one. Then the third one, another bedroom. So that so then he did a big addition and but that was he did a big addition but that was later on that addition got complete when I was right around when I turned eighteen mm-hmm. and I and I had moved out of the house by the time I was twenty two I got married at twenty one uh-huh. yeah which is fairly common in that type of culture to get married relatively young at least for the girls I was actually a little bit unique to get married as a man that young although my father did he got married that young too but it, at, currently as it stands now it's relatively rare for men to get married that young but uh women they try to get them married off as early as early as they can uh, you know with Howard and jeff's going to jail going to prison they've they've been quite a bit more cautious on the age of the girl so they like to make sure the girl at a minimum is 18 okay i'm sorry something about jail yeah so Warren, Warren Jeffs, uh, he was the leader of the FLDS church. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the version, and so I was raised in what people, what stands for the fundamentalist Latter-day Saint church is what it stands mm-hmm. for. And 1983, uh, a group of people were effectively kicked out. And um, my grandfather and a few others were part of that group that went and formed their own version of FLDS. Uh, and, uh, so, but, F, but Warren Jeffs, he was, he was the leader of the original FLDS mm-hmm. and, uh, he was, I can't remember the exact year it was, but it was in the two thousands where he was, uh, convicted. He was a convicted, uh, of pedophilia, uh, marrying girls as young as 12 years old. Oh, that's unconscionable. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. And so it's actually sex trafficking. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and and so this version that I was raised in, they they try they they learn from that experience. And they no longer, at least right now that I am aware of, that they're 
they're doing everything they can to marry girls at 18. But what they're practicing right now is uh, there's a there's a there's a class that they do for. Uh, I don't know this firsthand, so I've I've only heard, I've only heard this from people that know of it. But uh, what what I hear that they're doing now is the girls that are 13 between the ages of 13 and 18. The prof the prophet or the president, for example. Uh, he teaches them about celestial and plural marriage. So in other words, if you, so although he, they're not marrying kids that are, you know, 12, he's basically talking to 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds about marriage, which to me kind of implies sex as well, which I think is highly imp- in, inappropriate uh, yeah. to mm-hmm. doing that at that age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do believe in sex education, however, make it age-appropriate. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a form of indoctrination. But they don't see it that way. The people that are part of it, they don't like if the prophet does it, it must be right. And they don't even call the prophet right now. The prophet is called the president of priesthood, and that's another whole conversation we could get into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, one yeah. of the things I had seen, uh, I had oh god, my grammar sucks. <laughs> Oh, you're fine. Thanks. One of the things I saw, I guess it was on a and I'm not quite sure, that there was a sect of um, the LDS church, and they were in southern Utah, mm-hmm. and one of the girls escaped, but mm-hmm. they were wearing these horrible, they almost looked like slave outfits. I mean, they were to- terrible. Yeah. Handmade yep. outfits. Um, yep. Was that part of how you grew up so the way we dressed it it was very very strict and so this southern utah that you're referring to is the main headquarters for the flds is right there on the southern utah slash northern arizona border Mm -hmm. it's actually on the arizona side in colorado city arizona my version that i was raised in the main head although i was raised in the salt lake valley the main headquarters was just five miles south of colorado city in a little town called Centennial Park. And the Centennial Park people, which is the, the, the brand that I was raised in, there is a strict dress code, but it's not to the level that Warren Jess was demanding. You know, the, the certain colors and almost very much like the Handmaid's Tale, almost. Yeah, uh, that's, that was what I was looking for, even though I've never seen that. Right. Yeah, Warren, yeah it's almost as though Warren Jess read that book and modeled his society after that minus the guns i'm sure he would have had guns if he could have got away with it because in the handmaid's tale they had a forced society with and they had you know like military standing but that's that's another piece of conversation but i was raised with uh this strict way of dressing and one of the way reasons we were, we we had this is we're supposed to prepare for what they call the temple garments oh the magic and, underwear the magic underwear. <laughs> yep, the magic underwear. <laughs> I know more than I let people think. <laughs> right. And so th- this this brand of magic underwear went down to your wrists and all the way is one piece, went all the way down to your wrists and all the way down to your ankles. And so the both the men and the women were invited to wear it. And what we would do is we were we were told that we need to wear a uh, preparation in so we wore long underwear that was in preparation of that temple underwear. So we had to prove our worthiness to be able to even receive that magic underwear. So we ha- so 
quite often one of my mothers, my second mother, she would, she would, as a kid, she would make this long underwear for us. And so the women and the girls, uh, they would wear their long prairie dresses, if you will. And then uh, quite often my mothers would wear nylons to try and cover up their long magic underwear. Oh, geez. What is the point of magic underwear anyway? Uh, it's supposed to be a few things. One is it's a, it's a symbol of protect. It's, it's supposed to be there to protect. It's supposed to be protect us against evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's also supposed to be the sacred garments that uh, we wear when we're resurrected in the next life. Ah. Uh, now, uh, does the FDLS go on missions as the LDS does? No, they don't do any proselyting. Um, so the version of FLDS I was raised in is called the work. It's called the work of Jesus Christ, and they call it the work for short. And the, they do missions, but it's just around the community type of a mission. Centennial Park is about one square mile. Mm-hmm. And so the missionaries, they'll just do projects around town, or they'll go out of town and work for two years and then turn all their money that they earn to the into the church oh does it also have the 10 is it the 10 percent yeah 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 so the tithing is 10 percent. now they're doing something called the united order as well so you got to pay another five percent to be part of that good old boys club and so that's the united order that's another conversation so polygamy plural marriage and the united order were considered two of the crowning principles of mormonism that allows you to go into the celestial kingdom to be a god in your own body and create earths have spiritual kids with all your multiplicity of wives and do this whole process again and so united order which is another way to call it call it uh, communism because it's totally communism if you look at the elements of it and that's their that's their version of the order of heaven mm-hmm. uh, and so so yes everybody pays tithing and then those that are enter the united order pay another five percent so oh. <laughs> okay now what i wow <laughs> what i mentioned <laughs> earlier it was this woman who had escaped basically yes. she was sent into town and said I'm not coming back and kept walking <laughs> Yeah, and got police protection. Is that what happens with the sect you were raised in or? I wouldn't say it's that extreme as, as far as somebody can say, I'm going to leave and, and they can, and they can leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, but you, but plan on just your, you know, you, there's a lot, there's many things you're no longer invited to. Like you're no longer invited to wedding ceremonies. You're no longer you're no longer invited to any of the any of the church functions, even if it involves your own family. So you're basically shunned. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And what yep. about do they follow the Book of Mormon or? Um... Yeah. Yep. So the main scriptures is still very much the same. It's the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenant, the Lectures on Faith, and. And also other books that the mainstream LDS no longer support, but the Journals of Discourse, for example, which are a compilation of sermons mm-hmm. of, the, of the early Mormon leaders that talk a lot of pro- provocative things that the mainstream church doesn't want their members to hear. <laughs> you phrase that well. <laughs> well, do you remember... <laughs> the salamander papers 
Oh, yes. That was hilarious. I, I did watch that Netflix thing uh, recently. Yeah, a few months ago. Yeah. Well, before yeah, Netflix, it was a book. And whoever wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hoffman's in prison for uh, making those salamander papers. So, yeah. All I know about it is he wrote this book about the salamander would sit on his shoulder and preach to him. Oh, my laws. I haven't read the book, but I am familiar with the salamander. The, the salamander, I, I think it was a, the salamander letter was something to do with, instead of an angel coming to Joseph Smith, it was a salamander. <laughs> a white <laughs> salamander. <laughs> and he proposed it as though it was in Joseph Smith's handwriting, the founder of the church. And the church officials were having a heyday with it. They're like, holy shit. Here's some new archaeological evidence we got to consider. And come to find out it was all a forgery, but it was still kind of fun to watch them get the big tizzy over it. You know, you think if you talk from you think if you talk to God like they claim to be, because you know they're God's voice on earth, they'd be able to immediately say, hey, well, this is what the heavens say about the salamander letter. <laughs> No more Angel Moroni. Now it's a lizard. <laughs> the lizard. The lizard did it. <laughs> then, of course, there was a South Park one. Oh, my goodness. The South Park is awful and so funny at the same time. Do, 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 do. Dum, 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 dum. Yeah, I know. Dum, dum. <laughs> of course, yeah. your take on Scientology was hysterical. Oh yes, <laughs> they, there's nothing sacred with South Park <laughs> or Family Guy, <laughs> or the Family Guy. Oh my goodness, no, <laughs> no. Here, so, how do we, <laughs> how do we um, how do we find your book, which I am now going to buy? <laughs> oh yeah, so the book is not released yet. It's with my editor, but folks can pre-register so they can get notified of when it's out okay and um, i have a website where they can go to pre-register for the book which is it's uh vasperlife.com and v-a-s-p-e-r-l oh okay yep v-a-s-p-e-r live l-i-f-e.com and right there on the top of the page they can pre-register and they'll be notified of the release of the book and do you have a website or not yet? The, oh, that is the website for my book. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. We're going to do this again because I know we can get into polygamy and the United <laughs> Order, and there was another one. Oh, yeah. I can't, I, there's so many topics, so many areas we could dive into <laughs> specifically. It's like, all right, pick one. <laughs> There's the hand of straws. Which one do you want to talk about? Pick one. <laughs> and I know in the FLDS, you can't drink or have coffee, right? In the FLDS, they can. They they view the word of wisdom differently. Oh, uh, okay. As long as it's in quote moderation, end quote, then you can have a glass of wine or coffee. It's really the mainstream LDS that says no. Which I don't get because we're American. We're addicted to coffee. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, I watched the, I watched the video or uh, an interview on on the 
Rogan pod, podcast about he interviewed this guy that he he's, he believes that uh, the advancement of uh, our civilization was because of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> he feel like it, it it gave birth to the enlightenment enlightenment era. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> well. And the reason behind it was water was not that clean, and so they would drink beer a lot. So, so kids and adults were drinking beer a morning, noon, and night. So they were kind <laughs> of both during school and everything. And so then coffee was like a great alternative to beer. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> yeah, rather than be wasted, you'll be <laughs> you'll be buzzed off the wall. <laughs> yeah, so that's another topic. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, thank <laughs> again, thank you so, so much. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And I'll send you the link when I'm, you know, when I'm finished editing. Okay. And you have a wonderful, it's what, Labor Day? Yeah, Labor Day. Yeah. Have a wonderful Labor Day. Go barbecue something. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for inviting me on. <laughs> and thank you. Okay. You Chat soon. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.